So my name is Saud. I'm the founder and CEO at FakeSpot. Um, we're one of the world's most used shopping extensions that detects fake reviews using AI. And I beat the often path by, you know, uh, this life of startups is very difficult. Um, you're like a little plant growing in the midst of these huge trees and you're trying to become your, the tree yourself. So you need to be resilient, um, undefeated in the way you conduct yourself both personally and professionally. And I would say that that's something that definitely is a growing experience in this life. And that's something that has helped me out a lot as I'm on this path, uh, obviously creating a business, but also uh, personally with, with family. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a very unique experience. Welcome back to the Beat the Oven Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. Joining us today is Saud Khalifa, the CEO, CTO, and founder of FakeSpot, a tool that seeks to eliminate fraud and fake reviews in e-commerce. Have you ever tried to buy a supplement online with thousands of five-star reviews only to find out that it's actually sawdust capsules? No? Well, that's exactly what happened to Saud, and this experience led him to understand that online reviews cannot and probably should not be trusted. Between bots, paid fake reviews, and influencers, it's harder than ever to trust what you read online, especially when it comes to product reviews like on Amazon, for example. Often there are money dynamics at play that influence every facet of online discourse. Well, FakeSpot is a free extension and phone app that uses AI to analyze millions of reviews and detect fraudulent ones, meaning that it helps you make purchases more confidently online. FakeSpot seeks to bring trust to the internet and Saud and his company have raised over $5 million for the project so far, which is already being used by nearly 6 million users around the globe, and it's one of the most popular browser extensions in the world. I'm excited to get deep and philosophical with a truly brilliant mind, so here's Saud Khalifa. Well, welcome to the show, Saud. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'm only interested in one thing. How do I game the system? That's all I want to know. Well, um, so people are already gaming Amazon system. They're already gaming every other platform system. Uh, and, you know, like I would say anywhere on the Internet, if you see reviews, that system is being gamed. Um, so that, that, you know, it's kind of unfortunate because I would say for consumers, the most important information that you have is the opinions of others. But if that opinion is made by people that have been incentivized, given some kind of bias to write that review, um, then you you are making your decision based off flawed data in this case. So um, to game fake spot specifically, uh, and you know, like there's always uh, thought exercises that we do that you know we want to see what the malicious people are doing in this uh, network side. This is a very important to do as you're building this kind of product um, to appease all the different stakeholders on the table. That one stakeholder is you and I wanting an AI that tells me if I can trust these reviews. But there are also these sellers that engage in fraud that want to game the system. You have to think about what they're thinking uh, and how they want to game that. So with FakeSpot specifically, we learned earlier that if you show too much data about your analysis, those sellers will want to game the system using that data. Um, so we're, we try to show just enough information for you to understand why something is fake or not fake. And then you can use that as leverage. But we build it around the consumer. We don't build it around um, the, the fraudsters. We build it against them, actually. So it's, you know, um, there are many different kind of strategies that you could do in this, in this world. And, you know, I, my background is I was a hacker in my teenagers. Nice. So that, yeah, so that gave me like a good look into how these like dark hat, uh, you know, 
dark web, black hat, gray hat people would actually um, think. Um, I was I was a white hat hacker, so basically I would get uh, I would find bugs and submit them to bug bounty programs publicly. For example, there's one that was a big one uh, with Microsoft. I found a vulnerability in Microsoft PowerPoint, and basically worked this way: I send you a PPT file, PowerPoint file, and I can take over your computer. But I was a wow. white hat, so I reported it to Microsoft uh, through uh, one of the vulnerability bug bounty programs. And, uh, you know, these uh, black hat hackers will never do that. They will try to game every sim- system around the Internet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting kind of uh, situation to be in, both in a business sense, but also in a technological sense. So if you don't mind me asking, what does Microsoft give you for something like that? Uh, so, you know, I, I found that when I was like 17, that bug, and then I submitted it. It took a while. And... Uh, I got a, I believe I got a reward between three thousand to five thousand dollars. This was in uh, two thousand nine, I believe, or somewhere somewhere around it, two thousand eight. Um, so, it, it today that kind of vulnerability would would be worth maybe twenty to thirty thousand. So, so it's it has inc- yeah. So it, it's gone. It's definitely gone up because um, in those days there was only two programs in the whole world that would accept bug bounties. One of them was called zero day initiative. The other one was by VeriSign. If everyone remembers listeners, remember VeriSign, the little badge at the bottom of the page. Definitely. Uh, Interestingly enough, fake spot is like a new take on that. Like what we're doing here, like we're, uh, kind of doing it dynamically based off the data on the page and telling you, you can trust this. Uh, so the prices have definitely gone up and, uh, you know, let's just say it gave me a good amount of pocket money when I was, uh, like a teenager, I bought my first phone with that, my first car. Nice. Like that. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, if you have no following like me and you want to release a book, I've got a book that I want to put out, and that book is called Why Donuts Are the One True Religion. I have zero audience, and I want to have an Amazon bestseller. What do I need to do to game the system? Yeah, so usually what we see is um, people give it out to their friends and family, so they get that first tranche of reviews, and uh, you will see that they're very positive about the author, more the, more so than a normal consumer would be, right? Mm. And then, uh, then they go out to these services, and you can even see them on Fiverr. Um, and if you just have a simple, you're one Google search away from finding these services. So you want you will Google uh, buy fake Amazon reviews or buy five star reviews or something like that. You check out on their website and you start getting those reviews on your book. Uh, so that's usually the uh, the play we see here. Uh, the other kind of more, I would say, um, intrusive one is using influencers to pump your product. You pay them and they pump their uh, pump that product on their channel, on TikTok or YouTube. Would you consider that last part to be unethical? Because that's basically the standard business model of so many companies nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna give out a contrarian take. Yes, absolutely. I think this whole cottage industry of uh, influencers churning out 20, um, or, you know, testimonials a day or reviews a day. I think it's very damaging for consumers. I don't think they're, they're honest and trustworthy. There may be a couple influencers that take honesty very seriously, but when you're reviewing things as they come, uh, you can't possibly give out good informative testimonials on products that you're receiving. Especially if money is exchanged, if you're giving me five grand or 10 grand or, you know, a hundred grand, if you're really popular. Yeah, uh, and you know, there's a psychological kind of um, factor here. You can, you cannot deny it. There's an inherent bias that when you're getting compensated for something, you're going to be more likely to leave a positive review here. 
Mm. Yeah. So are you going to let people in our audience know how much I paid you to be on the show and to speak highly of me? Is that Are we going to reveal that or should we keep it a secret? Well, I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, you don't need to pay me anything to for me to speak truthfully. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I think what's interesting for the listeners and for the viewers is, you know, like being enlightened to the fact that these different social networks and these different review websites that we're seeing across the web have a huge problem with fake content. And I'm, we're seeing right now, you know, GPT level technology being used to generate the fake content using AI. And we just saw the chat GPT being released in the last two days by OpenAI, right? Wow. Um, these things are making the world of fake information explode. Like there's yeah. a Cambrian explosion happening there. And it's, it's decimating legitimate value that the internet brought. And in like, for example, in the 90s, the early phases. If you, if you remember the early internet, we've gone through so many chapters, but that first yes. chapter, it was people grouping together, hackers and yep. you know, knowledgeable people exchanging knowledge. And we're not seeing that anymore on the internet. We're, we're seeing it become and evolve and converge into a point where it's all about money. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, I was going to say, you strike me based on even just these few sentences as somebody who adheres to those old school internet values. Like you said, you were a hacker. And I know those things because I was a part of them, the IRC chat groups and communities and sharing yes. that. So I, I get a sense that we have a shared internet history and that you probably believe in things like freedom of information. You probably support things very wholeheartedly like WikiLeaks and Edward Snowden um, because that's an ethos that used to exist. A lot of people who are a part of the internet and those communities in those days. Would you agree well, with that? I mean, I, I don't know about supporting all the leaks. There are some leaks yeah. that are, uh, you know, um, politically motivated. So mm -hmm. there are many things happening behind the scenes. But I think the freedom of exchange of information and knowledge and for everyone to grow with that knowledge, you cannot grow with flawed information personally and yeah. professionally. That's that's a fallacy. That's never going to happen. So uh, and this is something that I'm very proud about working at FakeSpot. We can actually tell you what you can trust and what you can't trust using the same AI the fraudsters are using to generate that fake content. We're always looking at the best technology to solve this problem. And, you know, the platforms don't care if they did care. Then if we went on LinkedIn, you would see all those fake profiles that are adding you gone. They're mm. still there. Yeah. And, and that is sort of the thought that I have and that many people have. We know that on platforms like Twitter or anywhere, such a large percentage of all of the Internet's traffic and content is produced by bots. And you have this sense of in the future, the majority of all discourse is just going to be bots chatting with other bots. So you've got harmful bots communicating with good bots, but still there's not a human involved. And we know how that can affect, obviously, the political situation, right? If I see that there's all of this support for a certain political candidate, even if all of that is generated by bots, it still gives the impression that there are two sides to an issue when in reality there may not be or there are two opinions when in reality there might not really be but we can't really tell. And I made a video a little while ago about Google and Lambda and Blake Lamont and Google you know, achieving sentience, in his opinion. You might have read about that uh, when it was all in the news. And the point that I was trying to make there was that it doesn't matter whether Google is sentient or not or whether AI has reached that level of intelligence. What matters is that it can fool somebody. What matters yes. is that Blake Lamont was fooled enough to write about this. That's what matters. The significance isn't whether it's actually conscious. And this is exactly the field that you're in, right? Yeah, uh, I, I think you're very prescient in the fact that, you know, there will be bots talking to each other. We saw that 
with the um, interference in the last couple of elections where we see a lot of right. people pumping it. We see it in crypto. Um, if you go on YouTube right now, there are channels that are live that are pumping tokens right now in this like bear market, so to speak. So, um, and they're bots talking with each other saying like, oh, how they're getting advice, financial advice from some person. That person may be a human. Right, follow this person, yeah. Yeah, follow that person, add them on WhatsApp, let them scam right. you. So unfortunately, this does work on uh, certain, uh, you know, folks that have not been educated about this problem, right? Uh, we are grown to believe that platforms care about trust. Um, if you look at the A to Z guarantee, if you look at the smiley face of Amazon, if you look at the different, uh, you know, like marketing that these uh, platforms are doing out there, they all reinforce this message that, hey, we're trustworthy, use us, we trust, we, you will trust what you see on this platform. And that's not the case. And how are we learning it? So you did bring up the leaks, right? The Cambridge yeah. Analytica. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great example of how if that leak did not happen, we would have never known that uh, our data on social networks were being used for you know, basically, I think elections are one of the most important parts of democracy. They change Absolutely. the strategy of a country and regions and the world. And we're seeing technology being uh, used to manipulate the destiny and the fate of, you know, political uh, movements like that. So, yeah. you know, I, I, sometimes I try to think like if uh, the 60s when we had MLK and many other prominent people, how it would look like if we had social networks um, in place, you know, it would have been pretty crazy and intense. Yeah, the powers that be or there might have been a lot more dissenting opinions, right? Or the impression that the movement wasn't as large as you think it is. And I think the big shock in certain presidencies, we don't have to go deep into details here, but I think everybody will understand what we're talking about. But the big shock was to have this sense shattered for most people who haven't been thinking about this as long as you have to have this sense of, I think I know what the average person thinks and what they feel completely shattered where, you know, I used to think, okay, there's a share, there's a set of common values that we can all agree on. We may disagree on certain points, but there's a set of common values that we can agree on regardless of our political affiliation. And we sort of saw that, or we had the perception that, oh, wait, there is this huge tidal wave of dissenting opinions or people who don't agree. And you don't know whether those are real people or whether that is just bots. You know, yep. is there incredible support for this candidate really? Or is that just an army of bots that are going into every post that mentions certain keywords and flooding it with this pro or con viewpoint as the case may be? So I yep. think our, our concept of what is actually happening was completely destroyed, at least if you're paying attention. Yeah, you know, um, I don't think humans can ever form a true form of democracy. Like not everyone's voice can be heard. Everyone has differing opinions, but we somehow end up with a bipartisan group uh, kind of uh, structure. And, you know, not everything is, uh, is perfect in one side and the other side. Most people, I would say they're in between. There are I obviously agree. people on, on the extreme ends. And it's yeah. hard to appease the people that are in between, right? Like it's, it's just super hard. But that's the Machiavellian kind of tactic that the, uh, the people around the world are using to generate interference into these different things. And what's worrying is this trend that we're they're using technology in certain. So like open sourcing technology is one of the you know, beautiful things about, about uh, tech. And if you look at the history of Internet, if you look at the history of the personal computer going back to Apple, you know, like what's interesting 
uh, IBM and the big guys that used to sell those huge computers that would fill up a room in a, in a, in a company, yep. they did not want a personal computer. They did not want. Uh, they did not want you to have a computer in your own house because they wanted to continue doing their contracts, and they did not want you to have access to all this information for pretty much for free. Yeah. So we had to go through so many battles. Those first pioneers that were in the sixties and seventies really believed, like kind of, I would say, libertarian um, uh, thoughts that everyone has the right to this. And this is what the, the United States is built upon, all the yeah. way back to the Constitution. And it's um, with with certain platforms, you know, freedom of speech is very important, but we do see freedom of speech of bots talking to each other, influencing mm. you. And you're right, like the volume gives you the impression, like if there's a lot of volume happening, that you think the whole world is thinking this way when it's not. And that's yeah. like that Machiavellian aspect of how these people are influencing you and kind of manipulating you. Uh, digitally in this case. So, yeah. and by the way, uh, Ross, like another thing I would say, the AR VR world, uh, I'm scary. Yeah. Like it's very, very scary because if it does come to the fruition and the way that it's being sold, we still have a problem with fake content. We still have a problem with, uh, you know, like uh, predatory behavior in those, mm. in those senses. We haven't even solved the problem of fake content in web one and web two. Now we're heading into these new, uh, chapters without solving those problems how is that even possible yeah well do you believe in the democratization of information i mean obviously the founder of reddit a famous example of you know he killed himself uh, who you know took all of these scientific papers that were locked behind paywalls and just made them all freely available some years ago we talk about making money and a lot of this is politically motivated, but some of it is just money. I just want to sell more of my product as a marketer. I want you to buy more of my things, whether it's my book, whether it's my Amazon listing, I want to move to the top of the search engine rankings. I mean, we know why people want to game it. And we know that money is often at the root of these things. Uh, how do you see the balance between making money off of information? Say if I create something, whether it's a symphony or if I write something, or even I create a video like this, you know, my personal survival needing money to live versus the idea that information should be made freely available via the Internet. I think, uh, I mean, I'm going to quote. So I'm a big fan of like the ancient Greek philosophers, uh, Aristotle, Plato, even Epicurus. Nice. Yeah, me too. Um, and one thing that Aristotle mentions in his, um, he has a book called The Ethics or Nicomachean Ethics. Uh, that's the exact title. He says that we should conduct ourselves in our life in the golden mean. And the golden mean is basically the center of the two polar opposites of each other. So uh, he uses one example specifically, which made sense so much in ancient Greece. Uh, you know, they, was, they were always in war. They were always in battles. Greeks were fighting against Greeks all the time. Athens versus Sparta. And what, what happened is uh, courage was a very big topic. And he said... Being too courageous will make you careless. And being not courageous makes you a coward. Where do you want to be? You want to be in the center, in the golden mean itself. And I think that's, that's where we want to be also in, uh, with, with technology and with information. We don't want to be on those, on those extreme edges of, of the spectrum. We want to be in the middle. But we also want to have access. So like, you know, platforms having access about what you, they know who you're sleeping with. They know what kind of mail you're getting. These delivery trucks right now are videotaping your house. They can figure out how many people are living in your house, along with if their driver is doing their job right and is taking a bathroom break. That's not the world we should be heading towards. 
It absolutely should not be. Well, and it's also what Buddhists call the middle way, which is something I very much believe in, basically the same exact principle. And of course, there have been articles that are coming out again and again. You you have all these devices in your house, the Internet of Things, and of course, they're just spying on you. If you put any device in your home, cameras, all of it, it's just collecting all of that information. And I think what Cambridge Analytica showed us is that we're just not aware of how much information is being collected and how much is known about us and what is being done with that. And, and the cat's already out of the bag because these algorithms and companies, they know more about us than we know about ourselves. <laughs> they know, they, and, and that will only increase. That's not going to decrease. I think there's nothing we can do about that just based on the way we've already established everything. But I guess knowing that this is such a big problem and you know, approaching it from a relatively simple starting point, I, I say that knowing that it's not, but of reviews, picking one angle in, how did you decide that this was the problem that you wanted to solve related to these bigger issues? And how did you know that this was the kind of company that you wanted to build? Well, so, I mean, you know, it's a very interesting topic. And I know uh, to the viewers and listeners, Ross says to prepare to think about your background story. And I've, I, I have. Um, I always stood up to bullies when I was growing up. I always never liked injustice when I saw it. And mm. I'm actually not surprised that I'm doing what I'm doing right now with FakeSpot, that I'm mm. kind of um, contributing to this world in a small way. Uh, at least, you know, I hope that it's a useful way for our users, our millions of users, um, for them to make their best decisions online. When, unfortunately, the platforms they're on, they're running contrary to that. They want you to spend your money. And in a way, you know, it's an extreme statement to make, but for you to get scammed so that they get that margin. and you know, there's a famous quote about someone saying uh, uh, something about margins. And uh, unfortunately, that's act the actual way they're operating. And uh, truthfulness, objective truths are not part of the equation anymore. So mm. I'm very happy about that. And, you know, I'm, I'm that type of person that was always into security. I started coding at the age of 11, uh, started doing like reverse engineering, hacking and finding vulnerabilities when I was a teenager. And this led me to my path uh, towards fake spot. I actually uh, launched FakeSpot out of my bedroom. Uh, so I was a big believer in Amazon. Uh, I was ordering Amazon when I was living across the world, when no, not many people were still ordering from Amazon at that time. No one really believed in e-commerce. If you remember 2008, 2009. Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah, not many people. They were just buying books. They weren't buying other stuff. Right. Um, so I ordered this supplement from Amazon in my final year in college. And it was, uh, you know, it had hundreds of five-star reviews. The yellow stars were very enticing and glowing. So I was like, okay, cool. I, I trust this rating. I have trusted it to this point. And this was about Christmas 2014. I got the product. I did the one-click checkout. And it looked like someone made it in a garage. The tape was falling off the packaging. Like the glue was like completely messed up. And then the pills had uh, chip dust from a woodworking shop inside the, the pills. So I was like, okay, there's no way this is getting five-star reviews from anyone, like no chance. So, and that volume they had. So I went back and I looked at the reviews and I realized they were written with Markov chain generators. At that time, that was the way, so believe it or not, uh, the new neural networks are using Markov chains underneath the hood, mm. but not the way that was the primary where in the past where you give it a theme, like a text, and it just spins the text, like mm. replaces synonyms, it changes the sentence structure, makes it right. look like it's a different author. So I saw that these reviewers were using this, and then I saw a couple humans being paid off. Like it was clear that they had some bias to write those reviews. 
So up to, and then you know at this point point I had a shock. I was like, whoa, I can't trust the reviews anymore. Like I always had, you always have skepticism built in, inside me because of my security kind of background. But when I looked at that, I was like, wow, uh, there's no way I can trust reviews from this point onwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always thought reviews on Amazon and most of the people that have used Amazon from the 10 years plus uh, time will know that reviews were awesome. Like in the past, the reviews were awesome. Some of them were funny. Some of them we made you chuckle. They were entertaining. Some of them were super inf- informative for you to make a decision. But something happened in 2014, 2015 that stopped that. And I will, mm-hmm. I will tell you what happened because we know exactly what happened. And that's actually when, you know, the idea for Facebook started. I was like, okay, what I just did with my mind, looking at reviews, reviewer profiles, let me launch an AI model or a bunch of AI models that look at these different attributes, collect as much data as possible so that we're very accurate with the representation of the trustworthiness and the veracity of this textual content in that case. And I bought the domain name from a kid. Uh, I believe I paid around $150. It was, he had a Counter-Strike clan called Fakespot. Okay. So I was like, yo, yeah, I was like, yo, dude, 150 nice. bucks. And he's like, yeah, uh, he was somewhere in the mid- Midwest. And I'm like, okay. Nice. Yeah, so I got the a domain and uh, put out the website. It was very simple. It was like a URL bar, like a search, kind of like Google. You paste in yeah. the product page, you click analyze. Put Which it is what there. you still have today, basically. I mean, that's more or less the fundamental yeah. concept of what you got going on right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the route hasn't changed at all. It's the same. Yeah. We just expanded our support. We support many different websites. We do support now different types of analysis. We look at sellers and stuff. But um, it was just very simple. You just paste in the product you're looking at, click analyze, and we analyze it in 30 seconds and come back with a grade. So that, that's that, that's the proposition. It has never changed. That's still the same to this day. And I never really promoted it. I never really marketed it. It just started that more people started getting scammed on on Amazon, started reading reviews, and they're like, huh, I don't, I don't trust this. They would research a little bit more, and they're like, okay, I need to automate this. And that's exactly why, why I launched Fakespot. I needed to automate this. I didn't want to spend hours of my time looking at reviews. It was just uh, silly, to be quite honest with you. So um, uh, put it out there, gave it out to my friends and family, and just started the word of mouth started growing. I ended up, you know, working at Goldman Sachs. I ended up being uh, an adjunct professor and stuff like that. But I would come back every night, uh, late night, and work on Fakespot till like 3, 4 a.m. and rinse and repeat. Uh, Like that was, it was just a passion. And I never thought of it as like, hey, I'm going to build this huge company that solves this massive problem on the internet. I was thinking about like, I will solve this problem. And maybe I had a, you know, a gut feeling that we can enter different types of content in the future which is what we're doing now so it's definitely been a very interesting kind of journey and i think the best kinds of businesses are those that solve your problem and that problem is something that afflicts other people and you hear that from other founders they talk about it but this is an actual use case where i saw it play out in front of me because i launched uh, apps and programs in the past but they were nowhere near as impactful as fake spot interesting so did you then read a book like The 4-Hour Work Week and get about halfway through and then just throw it in the trash? Because uh, no, I, I don't believe <laughs> Just it set it on fire because the whole point is you could have a supplement company. Just put up a landing page and you outsource everything. And presumably the advice is get fake people to review it and watch the money flow. And who cares if it's sawdust? Who knows what's in it? So many problems with books like that that were taken at face value back in that time well, whenever well, it came Ross, out. You're absolutely on the money, Russ. I mean, pun intended. Uh, uh, 
these anyone today can become an author there's no filtration process and if they know how to market their book they are influencing now people with this flawed knowledge this is why by the way i like to read ancient books like meditations mm, aristotle's yeah. books plato's books book. the republic they've gone through thousands of years of filtration yeah. and they're still here today I, and so I've got are those books right now yeah i'm saying love philosophy i reading immanuel kant uh, grounding for the metaphysics of moral all of those types of things plato's republic uh, I still think that Plato's allegory of the cave is the most prescient, to use the word prescient, the most prescient text ever. I still think that's the greatest model for what we're witnessing right today. now. That it, it applies anything. today. Yeah, yeah, it applies today more than anything before. And it's what we were talking about, it's, it still applies today. Like people are yeah. stuck in that cave yes. using Twitter, using Facebook, using Instagram, using TikTok. TikTok is right. just promoting this the cave. Hide in the cave. Yeah, it's only the cave, and we worship the people who are the most successful in the cave of TikTok. We worship the shadows. Yeah. yeah, we worship the shadows that are fake, and these yeah. these platforms are about fakeness. And you know what? Like, I think it actually works in their favor that those videos are like ten seconds, fifteen seconds long, because you can't investigate it. Like, if yeah. I say to you in fifteen seconds, "Hey, this book is great, uh, four hour week." Yeah, you can be so successful doing this. 15 seconds, you believe them and you're like, okay, cool, I'm going to buy this book and, you know, yeah. consume this knowledge. There's so much information. This will make a difference for me. It doesn't. It doesn't make no difference at all. Right. And there's so many fun facts. You know, did you know that this jellyfish has three? You don't know. <laughs> Just all of that. You have no idea. Yes. But, but, you know, you're like, okay, scroll, 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 next, 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 next. Uh, so you're trying to uncover, and I think – We've got to this point, and everybody knows this is coming for humanity, just like it used to be the case that an individual human could make a meaningful scientific discovery. We're basically at the point where that's no longer the case because the kind of data that's being crunched, you know, when I'm looking at the event horizon of a black hole and it takes me millions of lines of code to calculate something, we're already at the point where no human can understand how these algorithms work, no human can understand cutting-edge research, no human can understand how all of these pieces fit together, so we need AI to combat AI which brings up a whole nother ethical question about what is our role in the future just period as humans and are we obsolete another can of worms but how did you begin to uncover these mechanisms and understand okay this is what's behind this type of fake review and then be able to combat that how did you discover because i'm sure as your platform evolves the complexity of the scam is also evolving side by side yeah, no, I mean, that's a that's a really good question um, and very deep. You know, like I, I would say uh, it, it goes down to the scientific method, uh, observation, collecting data, um, and just looking back at first principles of like what does... So we don't look at reviews and content in the form of fake. We don't use that word fake. We look at it as reliable. Is this reliable for you as a neutral consumer to make your decision based off this content. How reliable is it? If a person received $100 to write a review about a product, you know that it may not be reliable for you. There may be a psychological incentive that doesn't paint reality properly within that review. So we're looking at it from that perspective and it's going down to first principles, like even like looking at human psychology, collecting as much data as possible. You know, currently we have about 12 billion and over reviews in our repository. Just to give you an idea, TripAdvisor has 700 million reviews worldwide, and it's the biggest hospitality um, platform. Okay. We use that data like to extrapolate and find. We use technology like unsupervised training, which 
you give it a cluster of data and it organizes it into different buckets. And then uh, one of us, either me or the data science team, we look at the buckets and we're like, okay, one of these actually really per, you know, portrays the reliability of the reviews very lowly. We also look at, now we look at the third-party sellers because they're a big part of the equation. If you remember, I just mentioned uh, earlier on when uh, how Fakespot started, 2014, 2015, something happened on Amazon. Mm. Amazon needed to scale. How did they scale? They realized that they couldn't be selling everything from their warehouse. You, they get the product from Clorox or Levi jeans and they sell it. To scale it, they needed to introduce all these third-party sellers, millions of sellers across the world, and be the platform where people come and buy that stuff. And they can maybe take care of the logistics through fulfillment, mm. or they connect you directly to that third-party seller, but they need that commission. That's mm. how they scale this to a trillion-dollar company. That's exactly what they did. Right. But by doing that, they introduced, they brought in a lot of fraud. Um, these mm. sellers are not ethical, uh, and they will engage in any means necessary to make as much money as possible. And you see these fly-by-night sellers. Go on Amazon right now, search for Bluetooth headphones, search for batteries, search for even umbrellas. And look at the look at the brand names. They're all gibberish. Like it's literally yeah. someone slapped on the keyboard and it's like You've all never heard of any of them, yeah. You've never heard of them. And they're, they keep getting banned. So that's why they keep generating a new word. They, they hit the right. keyboard and they're like, okay, my name today is Y-U-J-K. Uh, yeah. And uh, God help you to pronounce my name, but you're gonna buy this umbrella from me. So uh, we look at we look at the data, we look at um, uh, we observe what the patterns are, and we leverage the state of the art technology to uh, to kind of help us determine the trustworthiness. And you know this this um, this uh, question of what is trust is something that I've o- has always interested me. Like what is an objective truth? Because truth can be relative, and it could mm. be absolute also at the same time but i think there's no disputing the fact if someone got some money to write a review or a bot generated a review in that sense it's more binary but then what if it's a different type of user that has an engaged brand following like really loves apple but like their keyboard is bad the butterfly keyboard is bad do i write a really bad review or should i just like appease because i love apple still i'll just say the the keyboard is bad but the computer rocks Right. So um, it's it's very interesting. There's a lot of dynamicism uh, attached to um, reviews and uh, this type of content. Hmm. Well, another thing that we've seen with the types of scams or fraud out there, something that uh, came up some years ago that I didn't used to see, but I see now is if you're searching for a product, like say uh, I need a space heater. And like you said, there's millions of gibberish brands that you've never heard of. But one interesting thing that I've come across is where you're looking through the reviews and you might see 4,000 four or five star reviews, right? You go through and then you see images of a different product or reviews about a different product. And you say, how on earth is this product? So somebody switched something and yes. they were able to keep the old reviews. What what category of review scamming would you call that? So, I mean, th- th- that's called actually uh, their uh, variation switching on Amazon. And Amazon is usually the place where this happens. Yeah. Uh, each platform has its own set of problems and how it, you know, going back to your first question, how gamified they get. And uh, sellers have figured out that if they combine a variation from another listing, they inherit that rating from that other listing. But the reviews are for a completely different product. Yeah. So, like, I remember the most uh, uh, nefarious one was it was a book about the Constitution from the 1800s, and someone was selling a USB stick. 
And they used those reviews. So when you went down, you looked and there was the most informative book about the Constitution I've ever read. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and you you look at those reviews and you're like, am I being trolled right now? Like, what is going on here? (laughs) You you have that dissociative moment where you're not sure what's happening. Yeah. So these kinds of things are are continuing to evolve. Um, So how you mentioned coding all night, being up till 3 a.m., basically every every hacker's daily life anyways. Um, have you felt like you've been able to keep up with the changes effectively? Do you feel like you're always one step behind or are you ahead of where things are currently? No, I'm that type of person that always is thinking ahead. Um, yeah. uh, we want to be 10 steps ahead of the fraudsters. We see forums across the world talking about how to bypass, like uh, trying to attempt to bypass fake spot. They're like, what What the hell do we do about these fake spot guys? I can't post a deal on slick deals because I'm, we're getting a bad grade on fake spot, for example. So um, we do see that kind of chatter happen there. And we're trying to observe everywhere where people are talking about us or what kind of vectors they can kind of, uh, you know, gamify. But uh, it's just being very passionate about it. You know, I think uh, yeah. going back to the focus of, of your podcast, uh, you have to do things that matter to you personally. Like you cannot be doing things that don't matter to you, right? I think you are doing this podcast and you can correct me if I'm wrong because you want to disseminate information and knowledge to your viewers and listeners. And Absolutely, yeah. And that's a critical, I think, that's something very critical to humanity. And the same way out with FakeSpot, our team, us, we want to disseminate uh, trust. We want to tell you what you can trust and what you can't trust. And you have to be passionate about it. That's, uh, that's a great a great point. Um, you mentioned that millions of users, I think at the time we first scheduled this, it was a million, but now I assume it's millions based on what you just said. So people are, for, for those who aren't listening, we'll, we'll have put this up earlier in the episode, I'm sure, but they install a Chrome, an extension, and of course you have an Android and an iOS uh, app that is a part of the pro version of FakeSpot, if I'm not mistaken. So these people are using it. Would you say that your business is entirely consumer-driven in the sense that, if I've understood you correctly, these platforms themselves, not only do they not do what you're doing, but they might actively have an interest in looking the other way for these scammers versus policing them. Yes. I mean, there's an, there's a conflict of interest for them and they have so many different priorities that they will probably, you know, bat an eye to these kinds of problems. Um, for us, monetization has always been very complicated. Um, most people are familiar with how affiliate, uh, networks work. Yeah. We found out that affiliate networks, uh, it, 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 there's an irony here. We look at reviews and we look at if there's an incentive for them to write a glowing review. If we were to start doing affiliate monetization, we will have an incentive kind of promote any brand because we want to yeah. get a commission. So we realized very early on that we do not want to do that. It's not, it's not part of the game for us. So we figured out that we can license our technology to platforms that care about trust, uh, that, care, that have a problem with the, you know, uh, basically disinformation or fake content on their platform. And guess what? That's pretty much every platform in the world that hosts third-party content. In the case of reviews, tweets, you, you can think about that whole like universe. FakeSpot can be a part of that universe, and we can license out our technology that we've developed in-house. You won't find it off the shelf. So that's the primary way of monetization. But also, we want to work with sellers or companies that are trustworthy. I think that's something that is very critical. 
and bring them into the equation uh, when, like, for example, recommending products. So that's where we're at right now. And yes, um, we're going to probably at the end of this year hit about five to six million users on, wow. on Facebook. And this is with a zero dollar. Thank you. This is with a zero dollar marketing budget and um, our extension. We are, I believe we were eighth um, a shopping extension in the whole world for Chrome. Wow. And just to give you an idea, if you looked at the ranking, it's Honey, for, you know, four billion exit to PayPal, Rakuten, a huge multi-billion dollar company from Japan, then uh, Retail Me Not, um, all these different companies, and then Slick Deals is below us. They raised five hundred million dollars. We raised nowhere near that amount. Right. Uh, and it's uh, it's just really interesting to see that that, and we're growing organically without without any kind of marketing we're not doing any kind of marketing at all we're not spending dollars on ads or anything like that so i have seen that if the internet is to be believed you know you've raised a handful of million i think the last number i saw was five million dollars for it so what how did you begin the process of raising funding why did you want funding how big is your team how do you see the fundraising process for an endeavor like yours so, you know, startup life, there's many ups and downs. Uh, sometimes the macro kind of picture will interfere. And that's something that was a learning lesson for all of us, I think, this whole last 12 months. Um, there are just factors across the world that will affect you, whether you like it or not. And we are seeing the tech sector being decimated in the last couple of months, like whether you look at, you know, NASDAQ performance or whatever. But those are just the challenges that you signed up to when you're trying to build a business. Uh, if you're building a product that does a positive impact, is a positive sum kind of uh, startup and product, um, everything will come towards you. If you're building a product that is being used. I'm seeing, unfortunately, there are startups that are building products that no one wants. And they're burning through cash. They raised, you know, 10 times the amount of money we have. And they're just like, they don't know what they're doing. So you need to build a product that people actually want and everything will naturally progress towards it. Obviously, you know, there's a bit of luck involved in this and there's also a very big factor of timing. If you, if you raise money at the right time, obviously you do not want to be overvalued too. That's what we're seeing right now also. Mm -hmm. um, you need to play, you need to look at the big picture always, especially when you're building a business and a company. I know it's, it's really easy to get intertwined with the trenches in the short term. But you have to look at the big picture. That's something that I learned over the last couple of years. I had to get better at that. Hmm. And for you, since you're not using affiliate marketing, since your product is free to the end user, is licensing then the primary business model at this point? Is Are there other avenues of income? No, I think it's the, the primary way we can do it is by building our own network of okay. brands that are trustworthy. And right. um, we basically are fully transparent with our users, who these people are, why, why they're in this network. And we won't allow any of the basically scammers. So we found out when we used affiliates that these scammers that were buying fake reviews were on those affiliate networks yeah. and they were giving out commissions. We did not want to have anything to do with that. So there's a better way of building out your own network of, you know, we already have the buyers. We already have users that want to buy from trustworthy sellers. Let's connect that transaction. And that's something that I think will be the primary revenue uh, kind of generator for fake spot and m pretty much, uh, you know, game changing for us. Mm. I mean, it sounds like a great idea. And obviously, I wholeheartedly support what you do. 
How do you avoid the scenario, Google's famous tagline, don't be evil, that they just quietly scrubbed from the walls one day. <laughs> they just quietly removed, like, just like Warrant Canary's websites have these indicators, and then they just disappear one day. There's little canary uh, VPNs, all of these things that are built on trust and built on your perception, then it turns out they have a backdoor, they release their data. So knowing that there's the potential for, like you said, a bias, or because there's an incentive structure there, we know that at the outset of this, okay, all of these companies are companies that we actually believe on, believe in. So you're building trust by doing that. How do you prevent that those incentives creep in and over time your trustworthiness doesn't get eroded by financial incentives? You know, you say you start with 100% trust and then 10 years from now we're at 90% and then eventually there's just a couple of companies sneaking their way in. Why does that progression always seem to happen as companies grow and get bigger? Yeah, I, I think... Uh... You know, as most of us, we go through different chapters in our life as we grow, and that applies to companies. What's interesting about companies, when you look at all of them, and I used IBM earlier, um, they're kind of in the long tail of stagnation right now. And whatever they started with in the 50s, 60s, 70s, that has completely gone uh, amiss in the last couple of years. Now they're betting big with Watson and the cloud, but we're seeing that they're not really vibing with the market. Um, what you're, uh, you know, you bring up Google also. Google is very interesting, but I think the people that start the company with that kind of message, if they're gone, the company is naturally not going to be that company anymore. Right. The leadership has switched. It's gone. That message is finished. Sergey and Larry may have had a complete belief in that. And we know that there were nerds very passionate about organizing the information on the internet. And they use this, uh, you know, do no evil, speak no evil. Um, I remember I signed up for a Gmail account very early on, and I was very passionate about using Google, just like, you know, most of us were at that time. Definitely. Uh, but do you feel like a little bit duped now, 10 years, 15 years later? Yes, but also at the same time, no, it's not the same company anymore. Right. Yeah, and there's a lot of examples like that, Facebook being one. I, the, the, the first example of me feeling truly duped was Facebook because it was for college students. And we used to, yeah. I was Gen 1. I was in college when it was rolled out and it was only to .edu students. So we yes. thought, oh, here's a little private place where we can share information amongst each other. And I can show pictures that I don't want my mom to see. I can talk about things that I don't want my teacher to see. And then just one night, they just flipped the switch. And then suddenly your mom added you as a friend on Facebook. He said, wait, <laughs> wait a minute, what? That wasn't yeah. supposed to happen. The whole idea of this was that that doesn't happen. That's why yeah. we liked it. That's why we signed up. So I felt very betrayed. And that was the beginning of my distrust of, call it Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg, whatever, whoever deserves the, the blame or the credit for that. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned other extensions in your space who have had big exits. And, and this fits into what we were just talking about. Is your goal with this to keep doing it? Do you want an exit knowing that if you do exit, that the very premise on which your company was founded might be corrupted? Or do you want to just stick with this no matter what for decades? Well, obviously, the latter would be the best. Uh, but life is complicated. Uh, building yeah. a company is complicated. And there are many parameters kind of involved. You have stakeholders. You have uh, you know, your investors. You have your family. Um, you may go through different phases in your life where an exit makes sense. And if it does make sense, you will pursue it. But obviously, you want an ideal situation where the company acquiring you kind of shares the same goals. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes people end up in that situation. There are examples of this being, uh, you know, the, the truth. But 
uh, it, I would say it's a very complex uh, kind of, if it was an equation, it's a very complex equation with many different variables within it. And uh, it's just like anything in life. It's complicated and complex, but you hope and you strategize for the best kind of outcome, um, especially as you're executing on the strategy. If you put your head down, execute on your strategy and don't diverge away from it, I think that's the most important part. And, you know, uh, to bring back a little bit more, you said you felt duped by Facebook and all these different platforms. I think it's healthy to have a dose of skepticism whenever you use anything in, in life. And that includes even FakeSpot. You should be skeptical of everything you use and you should be asking questions and investigating deeper. And uh, if, you are, if you are using a company that has that kind of mantra, then you are pr pretty synergistic with them. But if this is a company that is using your data to kind of manipulate you into a corner to buy some new product or new service that, you know, let's let's say it at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference for you. Like it's it's going to end up in the garbage pile in 10 years. Um, I think there it, there's a lot of really big complexity here. And I think Facebook actually knew what they were doing from the start. Uh, they knew that they can probably. Right. Yeah. They knew that they could believe. exploit. Yeah, like dopamine from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. And the only way, so like, remember I mentioned how Amazon had to scale to bring in all those sellers? For them, they had right. to bring in the whole world. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's really interesting, like when you look at these different companies. And it is what it is today. It's, uh, Facebook is in a very, meta is very, in a very interesting kind of situation. And so is Google. Like Google hasn't really changed much from their, mm -hmm. like their search is still the same. Like it hasn't really changed much. No. They've built ancillary products around it, Gmail. They, they advertise to you within Gmail. And yeah. they're doing now this for decades. So for them, it really worked out. They didn't get acquired. And, you know, Facebook had an offer from Yahoo and uh, Mark Zuckerberg. That. Yeah, like he, yeah. he just, like everyone was like, he's a lunatic. Like, what, what is crazy, going on? Right. He, knew, he knew he would end up with, you know, allowing your mom into the platform. Like at right. that time, he's like, why we're yeah, fools to do this now when we can bring in Ross's mother <laughs> and everyone else's mother to the platform and double the user base. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. And now that people are understanding, you know, it all comes down to incentive structure and people are starting to understand what free means and that free is not really free and that old adage that if the product is free, then you're the product, right? And I think there is something freeing about more honest business model. We talked about the middle way in terms of money, but when you pay for something like YouTube premium or you pay for anything, there is something that feels kind of nice about changing that incentive structure. If you can, as a consumer, I think, you know, whereas these things that are free, but just harvesting everything from you, I think we might get to a place where people feel more comfortable, even though we all have a subscription for everything. But would I rather pay $10 in a more honest way to say, okay, get your money from me directly versus harvesting anything. I think people are starting to wise up to that being a good proposition versus before it was just, I want free, free, everything, free, everything, free, everything. Who cares that you're going to advertise and blast at me, you know, 24 seven. So I think, you know, we brought up a lot of good points. You've said some very intelligent things. It's uh, the approaching the end of our hour. I wanted to get one quick uh, bit from you. So 5 million, 6 million users as of today. If everything goes swimmingly for you, what do you expect or what do you hope in your wildest dreams would happen for you in the next five years? Well, we want to uh, continue building an impactful platform that, um, you know, we, we, we're solving the problem for consumers, for shoppers. And we may look at different content types across the internet. Uh, we kind of hinted at it throughout 
our interview here. Yeah. And that's something that we would be very passionate about, bringing more value to people's lives through technology in an open and transparent way. And our mission is to always bring trust and transparency to the yeah. internet. It's always been that from day one. Yeah. Uh, so continue building on that mission and uh, continue impacting people's lives in a very positive manner and show everyone that, you know, there can be a company built uh, away from the way that we've seen with the big tech in a positive way. You know, we've gone mm -hmm. through many battles, Ross, like we mm -hmm. haven't talked about, like we were one of the few companies in the world to have a takedown from Amazon last year where they went after us and kind of took down our iOS app because it was really impactful. There are many things you have to deal with in this kind of world. We want, we want to have our own kind of contribution where we can show to users and consumers alike that there's a better way of doing things. And we want, you know, people to be a part of that uh, future. Yeah. Well, you know, it's incredibly noble work. I'm very, very glad that you're out there, that you and your team are focusing and fighting for this because it's so important. And it's just one of those raging battles that some people just aren't even aware is going on. An incredibly pivotally important battle to not just today, but the future of humanity itself and our role within the future. And so many people have no idea that this kind of thing is happening and how important it is, but it is incredibly, incredibly important. So I thank you for for committing to that set of values and for staying true to those Gen 1 Hacker Day values, the good side of hacking, the white hat hacking, because yeah. we, we need that. We need people who do understand these things fighting on the good side and who are using this tech in a conscious way. And the fact that you've been able to make a career out of this and that you've gotten the success that you have, I think is incredible. So let's hope that you bump up a few spots in the global rankings. You'll be in the top three before long, I'm sure. And that, you know, you keep fighting the good fight. Thank but if you. one Thank day I visit for... and uh, you do have an exit and then somebody else takes over, then I'll I'll be wary. I'll say, okay, well, <laughs> that's over. <laughs> it was good while it lasted, but no, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, fine. I, I think this is a, this is more of a lifelong thing for me. Whether yeah. you know, like whatever company it's at, it's always going to be Amazing. something that's very lifelong, but. Um, thank you very much for your kind words, and um, I hope this you know thank you for the time. Uh, session was very useful for the viewers and listeners, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful that you took the time. I'm glad we're able to get this on the books. And uh, with that, the official podcast here is over. Oh.